Good morning. Okay, I can hear. I'm on. Sorry, I tried to head. I'm not the only one that uses a tablet up here, so I'm trying to find an empty stand. So thanks for who is ever on bar. Yeah, you're good. I hope you are able to uh, enjoy that time of fellowship that we had this morning. So, good morning again. Welcome to Grace Chapel. Thank you for being here. I hope you all are enjoying our temporary reprieve in the weather. I know I enjoyed kind of the 50s yesterday, and then my wife was telling me about the snowflakes that I think were this big outside the window this morning. So, my kids were sledding a couple days ago. They'll probably be sledding in a couple more days. So, it's Michigan. Also, I hope in the last week you've been able to spend some time with family and celebrate the incarnation of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, the distinct part of the Trinity of God, who was sent by God the Father to this earth, that, we will, that he was on this earth, that we walked and conduct our lives daily. Our Savior, sinless and pure, in heaven and on earth, conducted himself without reproach in spite of his challenges, trials, and the mortal and spiritual resistance that he encountered through his entire time on this earth. He is the gold standard, perfection made manifest as our Savior and example to all believers in conduct, in action, in thought, and in character. Jesus was the Word of God, becoming flesh that dwelt among man. After his time on earth as the Word of God, through his death and resurrection, commanded by God, he returned to heaven. And his apostles and disciples continued his message the preaching and teaching of the gospel, the ultimate good news. This has been now continuing for close to 2,000 years, and as believers, we remain vigilant awaiting his return. As hopefully already observed and known by many people today, it's Sunday, Sunday morning, thus we are all here. It's also New Year's Day, so this is kind of pretty unique. doesn't happen that, that often. January 1st, 2023 kind of scary. Time goes by fast. So, Happy New Year. A new year, a new month, a new day. And many consider this a new start, a mental, physical, emotional, or even spiritual reset. A reset of ourselves, made manifest in new or renewed self-improvement, is a very common goal in our idea, in our society. What type of self-improvements? Well, I mean, if you walk into the bookstore, you can see just about anything. Mental self-improvement, more education, read more books, become a subject matter expert in whatever you desire. Physical self-improvement, better eating, whether that's less eating or healthier eating, maybe both. Going to the gym for muscle strengthening, riding a bike, running, high-intensity workouts for cardio strengthening, and maybe losing weight if you're really motivated. Spiritual self-improvement. We see yoga, uh, books on self-help, think positively. Or one of my favorites is sending good vibes, especially via social media. Uh, join a church, join a religion, join a club, join an association. Meditate your own meaning of life and construct a personal perspective. Emotional self-improvement. I'm going to be a better person this year, a good person, and good I say quotes. Less cussing, less aggressive driving, 
less angry. Once again, the sky's the limit, less whatever. More friendly, show kindness to my coworkers, and being, once again, I say quotes, loving. Financial improvement, better job, better home, better car, once again, better whatever. Self-improvement has no limits, no boundaries, according to our enlightened culture and progression of the so-called good man or woman, betterment, or for the global good of humanity. Very all common themes in our culture today. I find it very interesting in a society that, in general, rejects the absolute truth and commandments of God have to work so hard to improve themselves based on the relative standards established by man for temporal self-worth, maybe some happiness, maybe some satisfaction. Eating healthy, being physically active, gaining knowledge, etc., may be beneficial to us, not intrinsically bad, but what was the one thing not listed in this garble of self-improvements or self-help? A godly mandate, a command, and a requirement for believers as a call to holiness and obedience. This morning, we will be continuing to look in 1 Peter chapter 1, the latter half. Uh, before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning to gather here to worship you. We give you praise and honor for all that you have provided. As believers, we are blessed with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our one and only Savior, as the means to salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and the inheritance that we will receive of eternity in heaven in your glorious presence. We thank you for the blessings that we receive daily, food to eat, clean water to drink, clothes for warmth, a building to gather. We thank you for the time of fellowship, giving you praise, to read and dwell on the contents of the Holy Bible, ask for wisdom and discernment in this message, not as my words, but yours. I ask that hearts be open, ears be listening, and minds be focused on the truth, the inspiration word of God. As believers, we are called to be holy, separate from this world, as disciples of Christ. Jesus Christ was perfection on this earth, and may we be encouraged, steadfast, and persistent, and strive to walk as he walked. Thank you again for this time this morning. Amen. So last time I spoke, we did uh, First Peter, like the first half of chapter 1, so I thought it was relevant then to go to the, uh, the second, the latter half. And then that first is a kind of quick summary. Um, you can read it probably pretty quick. It's only about 13 verses. But those of us that are believers, called by God, have been gifted a wonderful inheritance that is unimaginable. Believers have been given the Holy Spirit. Our lives are being transformed through our walk in sanctification. We have been saved from our sin, our depravity. We have been made free through our faith in Jesus Christ. We wait for the eternal promise to enter heaven, either from our physical body's death in this world or the, to the return of Jesus Christ to collect his children. The Word of God clearly identifies these points in this letter. And once again, just summarizing those, verse 13, we're given an inheritance that is only provided by God the Father. This is a righteous recognition that he is the originator of the gift of mercy and grace as benevolently provided by him an inheritance of new life, the changing of the human mind, that the believer lives a new life is conformed to the will of God, referring to God's regeneration of the believer. An inheritance 
is continuously maintained, eternally preserved, specifically for the believer. An inheritance, an indwelling of the Holy Spirit that is active, a continuing process that is life-changing, life-altering. Peter continues to address believers, acknowledging and emphasizing the gifts received, but with this inheritance comes the call to holiness, to obedience. So once again, we'll be reading out of 1 Peter 1, uh, 13, and in a little bit into chapter 2. So starting with verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partially judges according to one's each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time as you stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like gold and silver from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have been purified, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So kind of key, once again, holiness. Be holy because I am holy. So what is holiness? Holy as in H-O-L-Y, not W-H-O-L-L-Y, or as in another holy, H-O-L-E-Y, as in perforated with lots of holes. But we see this holiness, this standard, this conduct, Holiness tends to be a nebulous word, but what does it truly mean? Peter uses a lot of Old Testament quotes in just this latter half of the chapter. The be holy for I am holy is originally from Leviticus, chapter 11, verse 44, where God is speaking to both Moses and Aaron about dietary law, clean and unclean meats. And in Leviticus, it states, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And once again, this is also repeated in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, where God is speaking to Moses about the rules of conduct, including idolatry is forbidden. You may have no other gods except for the one true God, respecting parents, keeping the Sabbath, acceptable sacrifices, and how to perform sacrifices. 
And once again, chapter 19, verse 2 from Leviticus says, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So once again, it's not kind of a, something I like to do, something I would wish to do. It's a mandate. It's a requirement. It was a requirement for the children of Israel who were the chosen people under the old covenant. As part of their identification with the one true living God, an intentional separation in all aspects of Israel's lives under the old covenant, the Mosaic law and economy, were commanded to be separate. This intentional separation from every other pagan or foreign nation included diet, what can be eaten, how it can be prepared, behavior, their conduct, the types of clothing that they wore, the worship that was done, the explicit holiness required in all manners of life behavior. This was a purity standard to identify what was clean or unclean, removal of idolatry and sin, and required Israel's dedication and their sole focus to holiness in all that they did. In Deuteronomy, eh, in Deuteronomy still a mouthful, <laughs> prior to chapter 7, God has given instructions to Israel on how the promised land will be divided among the 12 tribes. This is their their paradise. This is the land of honey, of abundance. Also, Moses reviews the Ten Commandments with the entire nation, and an implicit caution against disobedience is once again addressed to Israel. The nation is identified as being the chosen people, decreed to be holy, and in Deuteronomy 7, 6-9, it states, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt." Therefore, know the Lord your God. He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations for those who love him and keep his commandments. So we see what God is providing, but then also as the chosen people comes the direct responsibility of being holy, of being separate. God states in his sovereignty, his will, his requirements for his people. Obedience is, is a must. And continuing in verse 11 out of <clears throat> Deuteronomy 7, Therefore you shall keep the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. And if you were to read further in 7, you would see that the blessings of an obedient nation and people, but also that disobedience and iniquity have consequences. The first few books of the Old Testament concerning the Mosaic Law emphasize that no man or woman could keep the entirety of the law. The example of how perfection could never be attained by a sinful creature such as man. The law of God reveals the sin of man and the sacrifices that were required. The law of God told them how to do just about everything, how to interact. I always like illustrations, and a really good illustration on Israel is the entire book of Judges. It's a cycle. Um, for those that remember in the last couple of years, we, we went through this whole, uh, uh, this entire book, basically chapter by chapter, and we see a cycle of disobedience 
judgment, Israel's cries to God for salvation, and the deliverance given to, to them. So Judges 2, 14 through 19 states, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them, yet they would not listen to their judges. But they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hands of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn ways. We observe the holiness standards required by God, but the nation of Israel collectively failed. Basically summing up, the Old Testament version of holiness is complete obedience under the law to attain perfection. Simple task, right? And we see that failure repeated over and over and over uh, in the Old Testament. Under the New Covenant, believers are not under the law, but are under grace. Believers who saved by faith in Jesus Christ are now the chosen people. The promises that a Savior now provides a means to remove sin, and now the believer has the ability to approach God. In Hebrews 9, 14-15, it states, Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a personal perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the internal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant, which once again is the Mosaic law. We as humans cannot be perfect due to the breaking of the law and unable to keep and maintain the law. If you've never read through the first five books of the Old Testament on what the requirements were under the law, just even after a couple chapters, I don't know how any man or woman would possibly be able to keep that and maintain a holiness standard that once again was required. With the establishment of the new covenant by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy. We have Jesus, the perfect man, now giving grace to man as a means to attain perfection. Even when Jesus, the Son of God, perfect in every way, he continued to be rejected by Israel. Once again, a New Testament illustration of Israel's rejection of the truth of Jesus Christ is when Jesus is addressing the religious leaders at the temple. As written in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, Jesus is correcting the Jews, the religious leaders, the elite of whom he is and who they truly are. It's a really long chapter. I'm not going to read all that, so I've got a quick summary of the conversation or the discussion between the Jews and Jesus. Jesus is teaching that he is the living word of God. 
they are seeing people that are believing and are convinced of His message. Jesus identifies whoever commits a sin as a slave to sin, and He can set people free through the truth. Jesus explicitly tells the Jews that they do not know God, the Father, because they do not know Him. Whoever loves the Father loves the sin. He's formally telling the Jews they do not know God they proclaim and claim to know in their own self-righteous piety and basically their works directed or their holier-than-thou way of working towards salvation. They are not of God. They are spiritually dead in their relationship. They have no idea the relationship that they are missing because of, I'll say, the entanglements that they have and the legalities that they have in the law. These Jews had told them that Jesus is possessed by a demon and a Samaritan. So kind of a double insult. Jesus makes the bold statement, most assuredly I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is declaring his equivalence with God, that he is God. He is the same divine nature. And the Jews' rejection of the truth was proven by their actions as, once again, he tells them who he is, and they attempt to stone him. How sinful nature responds to purity, the holiness of Jesus Christ, the rejection of purity 2,000 years ago is the same rejection we see today. There we have holiness as a separation from a sinful world. We have what we see in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant and the New Testament under the New Covenant called to be righteous, to turn away from unrighteousness. Now that we've kind of had that brief introduction, now we can go into the text. Sorry, that's... All right, so starting in verse 13, once again, Peter is writing to believers to prepare our minds for action and exercise self-control, to be calm, to be collected, to gird is a term originating or meeting to bind their long and flowing garments closely around their bodies and fasten them with a belt in preparation to take an action. In historical context, people of the day wore long flowing garments, and when they were about to start a journey or engage in any type of physical work, they needed to be unimpeded in their movements. We are to focus on grace. By one definition, a longing for and to expect a thing with real probability engineering term, probability, right? High percentage or chance to work. But I don't believe that this definition really gets the entire point. As a believer, it's our implicit condition, our proper focus driven by the Holy Spirit of a certainty and assurance of the grace and mercy provided by God. Once again, only through Jesus Christ. Our salvation and eternal deliverance from a sinful condition which we were born and live in a rebellious world with its failing contents. This preparatory action and readiness, this girding, is not to conform to our previous ignorance and iniquity. The change of our mind, of our character, of who we are, from our former participation in indulgences, in lust, in sin, and iniquity, to changing the mind and character seeking and living righteousness, to strive for holiness, is reflected in genuine salvation, which once again requires obedience to God. In Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, there's a contrast between the unbeliever, ignorant in iniquity, 
and the believer conforming to the holiness that God dictates. Starting with verse 17, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth, that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, we are instructed to be living sacrifices. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The call of holiness is complete, is thorough, is perfect. Brought to believers through the Holy Spirit, and incrementally the Holy Spirit will change the believer's thoughts, motives, desires, and characters towards godliness. This is that process of sanctification. Notice that this is not a self-improvement based on a human necessity or human vanity, wishes, cravings, that is fleeting or temporary with little to nominal results. This is a God-induced change, a requirement for a genuine believer to begin to be reflective of our Lord Jesus Christ as a disciple, as a follower, a worldview-changing, life-altering, permanent interaction, completely dependent on the will of God and His sovereignty. Believers have been born again through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. We are redeemed by the incorruptible, imperishable, precious blood of Christ. What type of blood? Precious, as held in honor, esteemed. To the believers, a pledge of redemption for you and I as being shed on the cross for the salvation of many. During the days of Jesus on, the, on, this, on this earth, the Old Testament law was very active ongoing animal sacrifices had very specific requirements and were commanded by the law to be pure and without blemish. In verse 19, it states the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Early Jewish Christians would have been very, very familiar with the sacrificial requirements. This is the perfect illustration of the blood of Jesus as the man incarnate had never sinned against the Father or himself. Jesus was irreproachable, free of vice, and unsullied by any iniquity. Jesus is holy. We are reminded again in the text that this is God's absolute determination of events. This is not the awareness or observation of what is going to happen or a trivial random act of circumstance. This is in accordance to the infinite and predetermined conclusion by the will of God. Jesus was foreordained. This was the sovereign hand of God at work but was not made manifest to men until the correct and perfect time, that revelation. I am so thankful that Jesus, 
the living word of God, and that we have the written word of God are forever. As this passage continues in verse 24, it again references an Old Testament, this time from Isaiah 46 through 8, which says, a voice says, proclaim, I answer. What shall I proclaim? All the flesh is grass, and all their loyalty like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower wilts. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, yes, the people is grass. The grass withers, the flower wilts, but the word of our God stands forever. The word of God stands forever. The saving truth which God, as its author, Jesus Christ as our Savior, this divine instruction presented us here today. In closing, we are called to be holy, not because we generate our own holiness, not because we can self-improve ourselves to reach holiness or parity with God, which is a very common concept that we see today. We cannot do this through our own mental, emotional, physical, or spiritual efforts. We are called to be holy and obedient because this is what God commands to separate his chosen people from the world. Yes, we live in the world, but we do not conform ourselves to this world. In conduct, action, thought, and character, the Holy Spirit is molding believers day by day. That's a good transition point. If uh, anybody hasn't gotten their bread or uh, juice, there's a basket back there. We'll go into communion. As it is the first Sunday of the month, first Sunday of a new year, we will take the ordinances of the Lord's Supper. We continue this remembrance in giving our Lord Jesus Christ honor and glory for the grace and mercy and peace given to his believing people. This is a time of remembrance of Christ's life, suffering, death, and resurrection. As a body of believers, this is an act of unity and participation in the benefits of being called by God, that we will not have to bear the wrath of our sins and looking forward to Jesus' return to collect his bride, us, the believing church. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes that the believers should examine themselves He states, but let a man examine himself and let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. As mandated by God, a call for his chosen people to be holy in honor with love and obedience. The Holy Spirit makes us aware of our sin of our disobedience to God. This is an opportunity to ask for forgiveness for our sins. In the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, so put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, hypocrisy and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by you may grow up into salvation. We are to crave, we are to grow in our relationship with God. The Corinthian church was not necessarily a good example as Paul identifies several concerns, especially about the Lord's Supper. Disunity in the body, believers that were gluttonous, others that were hungry, and food that was not being shared, excess drinking. The Corinthian church was called to examine itself, and some of those that partook in the Lord's Supper in an ungodly manner or reverently and were unworthy had physical ramifications, whether they were weak, sick, 
or even death. During this time, we are provided the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to scrutinize our lives, our action, our thoughts, our attitudes, and convicts us to genuinely repent of those sins. We are purified by the blood of Jesus Christ, covering his saints, so we can approach God honoring him and his holiness for his grace and his mercy through Jesus Christ's sacrifice and to his glory. Just give us a couple moments to reflect and to pray. When Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul writes, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time of reflection, this time spent with you. Your word is our encouragement, our strength, our compass, and points to the direction always to you and Jesus Christ. We thank you for your instruction and know the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. We ask that our focus and dedication to obedience to your word will continue. To those that believe we are born again and are so thankful for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that he lives forever. Such a precious gift. Thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen.